and also to the back of your um, hymnals for the Confession of Faith. And let's see, that is page 934. So Psalm 105 and then page 934. Psalm 105, starting at verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. O give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, speak of all his wonders, glory in his most um, in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his wonders which he has done, his marvels and the judgments uttered by his mouth. O seed of Abraham, his servant. O sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He has remembered his covenant forever, the word uh, which he commanded to a thousand generations the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac. Then he confirmed it to Jacob for a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as the portion of your inheritance. When they were only a few men in number, very few and strangers in it, and they wandered about from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people. He permitted no man to oppress them, and he reproved kings for their sakes. Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. We'll turn to um, Westminster Confession of Faith, um, chapter 23, section 3. We're actually picking up in the middle there. That's uh, the beginning of the first sentence on that page, page 934. And as Jesus Christ hath appointed a regular government and discipline in his church, no law of any commonwealth should interfere with, let, or hinder the due exercise thereof among the voluntary members of any denomination of Christians, according to their own profession and belief. It is the duty of civil magistrates to protect the person and good name of all their people in such an effectual manner as that no person be suffered either upon pretense of religion or of infidelity to offer any indignity, violence, abuse, or injury to any person whatsoever, and to take order that all religious and ecclesiastical Assemblies be held without molestation or disturbance. Let's pray. We do ask, O oh Father, that you would help us to understand um, some of this language and uh, some of the beauty and the wonders um, of your holy word. And we pray that you would help us, we pray, um, to have godly leaders, those who help and protect your church, and do not hinder the work of your church, but Lord, provide uh, for her and, and give her protection and serve even as nursing 
um, parents on behalf of your church. Bless your word, and we pray that you give us understanding of the things that we study. For we ask it in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, so we're beginning um, the second half here of section 3B. I tried to maybe consider going through this entire section in one sermon, but it wouldn't have happened. So we're picking up in the middle here. Section 3B, um, which, of course, if you're looking at the confession, uh, there's no B or A here, but we're just, we're just saying this is the, uh, the middle, right? So we're in the middle of this section, and it says here, As Jesus Christ hath appointed a regular government and discipline in his church, no law of any commonwealth should interfere with, let or hinder the due exercise thereof among the voluntary members of any denomination of Christians according to their own profession and belief. Now, when we look at this sentence, rather long sentence here, I think this expresses what we have come to understand as the separation of church and state. Local, state, nation, wide or national, federal, uh, civil authorities, or what here is called commonwealths, are not to interfere with the local government of the church. They're not to interfere with. Okay? And we read this, uh, a portion here, where in Psalm 105, um, it talks a little bit about this not interfering with the sake of, the, of, of those who are appointed um, as you could say, religious leaders in the, in the community. If we look back at Psalm 105, verses 1 through 13, it's a retelling, a remembrance, a praising God of the wonderful redemptive history given to the promised people of God. That's what verses 1 through 13 gives. But then, when we get to verses uh, 14 and 15, the OPC decided to use... Verses, I'm not sure if it's verses 14 and 15, but they use this passage. They use this particular passage as a proof text for the section that we read, um, for section 3. Let's read that again. Uh, Verses 14 and 15. He permitted no man to oppress them, and he reproved, that is, he corrected kings for their sakes. Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. Now, you probably understand that there are no such things as prophets today. And the reason we don't believe in the, the continuation of prophets today is because the canon of Holy Scripture is complete. If we have churches nowadays with prophets giving prophecy, then this book is not finished. And we need a new prophecy of the uh, Pentecostals of Alexandria or whatever, uh, then we're going to continue to have a, a Bible so massive, it's ridiculous. From personal experience, I've been in churches where prophecy was said to still go on, and the prophecies that you hear these people say don't line up with the rest of Scripture. Here's, here's one example. I, I distinctly remember a televangelist saying, God revealed unto me that women and children will be preaching the gospel as preachers. Well, that doesn't fit with Titus or Timothy. It's opposed to Scripture. So somebody getting up and spouting a prophecy contrary to Scripture is a lie. 
Because God's word, God's word is final and complete. Anyone who says something in opposition to the revealed word of God, it's, it's something that is not to be held to. That's why we don't believe in prophets uh, continuing, because this canon of Holy Scripture is complete. And the warnings at the end of the book of Revelation warns against adding to or taking away from not, I, don't, I, I believe it's not just that book. I think that was the last book written in the New Testament which says that we're not to add or take away from Holy Scripture. Okay, having that said, the Puritan, William Perkins, wrote a little booklet, and I have it in my office there. It's called The Art of Prophesying. Now, we don't believe in prophecy, but he considered that preaching is probably what has taken the place of, of prophecy, and that's why he calls it the art of prophesying. I know that's a, that's a way to kind of... I, I do think that that's a reason why the OPC uses this particular text here from Psalm 105. I think we should understand it this way. Even though there's a historical context of something here that happened long ago, I think we could still apply it today. God permitted no man to oppress them, and he reproved, he corrected kings, rulers for their sakes. And God even says so now, do not touch my anointed ones, and do my, you could say, my gospel ministers, my gospel ministers no harm. That's the interpretation the OPC takes on this particular passage. And I think it's a good one here. Now, I know this section talks a lot about those who hindered the work of the church or that the, the federal government, or I'm sorry, it uses the words here, commonwealth. Commonwealth could be understood as local, state, or federal government. The commonwealth is not allowed to hinder the work of the church. Now, we are a little upset that we're seeing it's, it's happening in Canada that you can't preach against homosexuality because that would be considered hate speech. And I did see something on the internet about maybe California having some laws in, enacted or they're trying to go that route and starting it. So my question is, what, could it happen today in America? And it could. However, even if that happens, and some of us have to you know, suffer even imprisonment, I don't think anything like that compares to what the Puritans and the Protestant reformers had to endure. Here's just a couple examples. I mean, I, I could probably talk for an hour of the atrocities that happened uh, because of those who tried to interfere with, hinder, or undo the work of the church. Um, one example is in 1536, William Tyndale was captured in Antwerp, that's Antwerp, Belgium, and he was condemned as a heretic and strangled at the stake. What was his crime? He, wanted, he translated Holy Scripture into the common language of the people. Okay? Um, 1545, 3,000 Waldenses were massacred as heretics in the villages of Provence, France. 3,000 and it was men, women, men, and, and children. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of a rundown of what the Waldenses, what the Waldenses uh, believed. Some people pronounce it with a V, Waldenses. Um, they departed from the Catholic Church. 
they rejected the seven sacraments. They believed that confession of sins um, could be guided by leaders and necessarily didn't have to be by a priest. Um, it did not require a priest. They rejected the use of indulgences. Um, they did believe in baptism by means of full immersion. Um, and they didn't... Um, let me see what else. They denied that the Eucharist was uh, was actually the body and blood of Christ. They believed that it was it was something that was symbolic, but it wasn't actually the body and blood of Christ, which we don't believe either. We believe there's a spiritual presence, a true spiritual presence in the Lord's Supper, but it's not... We don't believe in transubstantiation. So we, we agree with uh, those things. They denied the notion of purgatory, and they denied offering prayers for the dead. They believed in a moral rigor and a simplified biblicism. They held that basically the word of God was to be the sole total authority of doctrine. That was the crime that they held to, and that's why 3,000 of them were massacred, because they held to those things. That's why when we, we find this section, and this language was modified from the original confession of faith that, was give, that the Westminster Confession uh, Assembly came up with. But when we hear of stories like that, people of, you could say, of a denomination or a belief system, they hold to the Bible. They might not agree with everything we agree with, but we don't think that they should be massacred because they don't agree like us. So this notion here, it talks about in section 3, um, that the, the rulers are not to interfere with, hinder members of any denomination of Christians. Because that was what happened. When, when a particular political party, or let's say a particular ruler came into being, uh, Queen of Mary, Queen, I'm sorry, Bloody Mary, Queen Mary, when she came into, uh, into power, she favored the Catholic Church. So she harnessed the, the magistrate's power to then kill, torture, and maim Christians for persecution. There were times later where Episcopals had persecuted Presbyterians and, and other such things. But that's not the role of the magistrate, to take one denomination or one belief system and then give no freedom whatsoever to people who are trying to follow Holy Scripture. It's not the place of the magistrate. Now, I do want to say that as we look at section 3, the Westminster Confession of Faith does not teach an absolute division of church and state. And here's my argument for that. We're going back a little bit. Section 2 says it's lawful for Christians to accept and execute the office of a magistrate when called thereunto. So a Christian can be a magistrate. Well, that's the influence of the church on the state, isn't it? Well, good Christian doctrine, and even in modern times, good Christian doctrine leads to good Christian thinking, and good Christian thinking should lead to good Christian voting. So I think Christian doctrine has an effect upon uh, who is going to be in office. Those who believe in Christian doctrine, who vote like Christians, I think can have an effect upon society in that way. Of course, the... Uh, the confession doesn't talk upon the right of voting or, or the influence upon voting. 
uh, going back to section 3, the Westminster Confession of Faith used a text from Isaiah 49, 23. It talks about the magistrates serving as a nursing father, and it is the duty of a civil magistrate to protect the church of our common Lord. Well, that doesn't sound like separation of church and state either, does it? When we look at that, the civil ruler is encouraged by the confession to protect and provide liberty for the church. So the civil magistrate is to help, to facilitate, to protect, but not to hinder the work of the church. Rulers are commanded to facilitate, protect, and even to act as a nurse, uh, to nurse along the church in whatever its calling is. And I believe that it is not to interfere with the regular government and discipline of the church. Let's say it another way. The, the civil magistrate or the local officials, let's say that some local official in Rapids Parish, they, want, they don't have jurisdiction of who becomes a member in this church or not. They, we can't have somebody from the office here in Pineville tell us who should or should not be a member of this church. They don't have a say-so in that. They don't have jurisdiction. They don't have a lawful authority over that. Now, now let, again, the separation of church and state. Is it absolute that the church has, that the civil magistrate has no jurisdiction whatsoever? Well, what if somebody in the church commits a heinous crime and they really need to go to jail? The police officer can enter this church and arrest them. And they should. So there is a lawful jurisdiction that they could even come into the church and take either a member or church leader if they committed a crime worthy of jail. Uh, section 4, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, says that it is the duty of people, that's including Christians, to pray for magistrates, to honor their persons, and to pay them tribute or other dues, that's taxes, to obey their lawful commands, and to be subject to their authority for conscience sake. It's a lawful command that someone who commits a heinous crime has to go to jail. Or even if someone commits a murder, they, ha they should be, uh, according to God's law, um, given, um, I, we believe, capital punishment. And that is uh, the lawful authority, and they have the right to do that. Um, it, seems as, it seems that when the, the priest... Uh, controversy in, in America was going on that a lot of the civil rulers did not really get too involved. Maybe they had a favor for the Catholic Church. But I think what's going on now is more biblical. That people or priests or those who are guilty of um, committing crimes against uh, children, those men are being taken in by the, by the, by the magistrate. And they are being prosecuted. And that's the way it should be. Um, let's turn, uh, look back at section 3, uh, the, the, latter, or the, the latter portion of section 3. It says, It is the duty of civil magistrates to protect the person and good name of all their people in such uh, an effectual manner that as no person be suffered either upon pretense of religion or of infidelity, to offer any indignity, violence, abuse, or injury to any other person whatsoever, 
and to take order that all religious and ecclesiastical assemblies be held without molestation or disturbance. Let's look at 1 Timothy 2. Turn to, turn to 1 Timothy 2, please. First Timothy 2, we'll read verses 1 through 6. Paul says here, First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. So, depending who's in office, maybe you and I probably find it harder to give thanksgiving unto God for such individuals. And I, I sincerely do find it's hard. If there's someone who really is doing really no good in their office, it's hard to give thanks for such a person. Um, however, um, Paul said in verses 1 and 2, he says, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority. If there's not much you can thank God for, you could at least pray for them. You can, you can pray for them. You could give entreaties and prayers, petitions to God on their behalf. And oftentimes, my prayer is that God would, would save them. God would convert them. And God would change them. And a lot of them need that. That's what a lot of them desperately need. Um... For those politicians who do not favor the church, we should pray that God would restrain them, that they would not cause any indignity, violence, abuse, or injury to any other person, and that God would allow them, allow us to have all religious and ecclesiastical assemblies in our nation held without molestation or disturbance. And to a, a very large degree, that is something that we do enjoy in America. Um, Compared to what the history of Christendom is, we have great freedom of worship in America. And that's something that we should continue to pray for. Pray for rulers at all levels of government, and that God would make them wise and capable to protect the person and good name of all people, not just Christians, all people, all citizens, that they would protect um, the person and good name of all people. The church, <clears throat> according to this passage and according to the confession, we should desire to have a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. When, when we have magistrates who, give, who help ensure peace, that is the goal. A tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. And again, that's what we want, not just for us, not just for the church, but we want that for everyone, for all citizens in the United States of America. That God would preserve the freedom, especially of the church, though, to preach and teach the gospel. That is vital for society. Now, if magistrates knew what was good for them, 
they should enjoy the fact that the word of God is preached. Because scripture and the Holy Spirit makes for good citizens. When people receive the word of God and believe in the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit works in them and they're built up in the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control, they're less likely to do the, the crimes that some other people will do. And, and I, I think of it this way. Internal restraint by the Holy Spirit requires a lot less external restraint by government and by police and by other means. Um, some people have called it, talked about it this way. If we would be self-governed, we don't have to be as governed by others because we're governed internally by the Word of God and by the Holy Spirit, and we don't have to have these external restraints because we are restrained by the Word of God and the Spirit of God, and that makes for good citizens. Consistent, faithful Christians who follow the Word make for fabulous citizens, and I think that's uh, something that should be a help unto our nation and not a harm. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Oh, Father, we do pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit, that we would embrace this blessed Lord Jesus, and that through him that we would have the forgiveness of sins, through him we would have that eternal life, and that you would raise us to new life in Christ, that you would enable us to live in a way that's pleasing in your sight, that we would be strong and, and rich in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We pray for those in authority, O oh Father, that you would allow them to ensure our liberty. Enable them, we pray, to protect your church, to facilitate the work of the church, yet not to hinder it. We pray that through this means, Lord, that you would give us a quiet and tranquil life in all godliness and dignity. Bless this, your church, Lord, and, and bless um, our congregation, Lord, add to our number and bless those who serve uh, both in the church and in the state for your honor and glory. For we ask all these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. For our closing hymn, let's uh, turn to 420. Christ for the world we sing. Let's stand and sing 420.